Welcome to Yelling at Birds. Matt here. I think this is episode 50. Who knew? Um, like all other major uh, events and milestones, I am completely clueless and I don't think about it. But today I was lucky, lucky enough, happy to sit down with, not directly with, but video conference with Kelsey Connor, who is a, a social worker uh, for Justice Support Services in La Crosse County. Um, now I've known her in the past, but I actually, in my last alcohol offense, she was actually my caseworker. I was, a, I was one of her clients and I, if you ever find yourself in that position, I know that, um, in the experience that I had, she is definitely the type of person that you want to have there. Um, we're talk about her job, uh, what brought her to do what she's doing, um, how she feels the system can get better and kind of her main goal and inspiration and what she does. Uh, a large part of that is I think what we all want is, as human beings is being, you know, met where you are, being heard, being understood. And um, her and I have a lot of conversations about vulnerability too, uh, being able to be open about yourself. And this is, that kind of speaks to a lot of what we're talking about here when we talk about recovery. Um, in this program and with mental health and just coping with everything that's happening. Um, so I really enjoyed our conversation and I hope that you will too. Uh, so without me babbling on anymore, here's our, here's my talk with Kelsey. Enjoy. I mean, that's kind of the, I think what one of the uh, effects of like the current situation is people learning that they can just still connect with people this way, which is kind yeah. of interesting. And it's, people are, it's kind of forcing people to get a little more literate on the computers and it uh, is, yeah. video chatting and everything. Yep. And even like employers, I feel like have had to really tap into technology that they've had, but never necessarily used. Right. Right. So. Um, yeah. So how's that been going for you specifically? It's kind of like that. I think the county is like figuring out things that were they were capable of that they just never really needed to use or hadn't fully gotten all the protocol down for it yet so they were kind of been doing that so we're working from home now which has been interesting i um we had to kind of revamp the program to fit online so um but it's it's been good too like we really tapped into a lot of online groups recovery things that weren't options before sure that we're seeing are helpful now and we should we've been um, I think it's also been helpful for the criminal justice system in general of like, where are we holding on to people that we don't need to? Sure. Yeah. Um, the coronavirus has really like, I don't know if you've seen anything about the criminal justice system and how like they've released a lot of people right? Um, from jails or prisons that like were elderly or had pre-consist, um, pre, you know what I'm trying to say? Yeah. Yeah. Conditions that like they, they let they let them go and so i think it'll be really interesting when all this gets back to normal like what we learned from the process of it all right because i'm i imagine that's that's like a lot of resources that they're plugging it like you know feeding people housing people that don't need to be where they are right um, exactly but then and that's like, you know where taxpayers are paying money right basically to for these people and then you know this i think is really shown well did we really need to have those people locked up the answer is probably no. <laughs> well, yeah. so when we were going through 
Um, when I was going through school, they said that, you know, one of the things that one of the instructors would say, there's, there's two reasons why we would put somebody in jail. It's either A, because we're mad at them, or B, because we're scared of them. And like, those are, well, the two main reasons. And it's like, you can kind of let go of the people that you're keeping in there because you're mad at them. And that's essentially people that are, you know, you did something and there's already a predetermined, like you have to go to jail for this amount of time punishment, not necessarily because you're a danger to anybody, but because we're mad at what you did. Right. You and, run against what society thinks is right. 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 Um, yeah. So does that put a lot more responsibility on people like in your position to kind of monitor? Yeah, definitely. Out? I think, yeah, there's been a lot more like, um, putting out on GPS monitoring versus being in jail. Um, a lot of more like social workers checking in, monitoring them more closely. Um, but really like, like you were saying, like connection piece is so important that we should be doing more. I'm not necessarily the GPS stuff, but the actual like being in more contact with our clients and having right. a closer kind of, relationship in that sense is actually what probably should we be doing anyway it's just like you said resources are so hard like there's only one of me right. there's only two of us in the whole program so um it can be difficult i guess yeah yeah and, and just right now there's not a lot of places you can refer because everything's shut down sure yeah so you yeah when you look at counseling and meetings and everything else like there's I think our our uh, our meetings still happening in person. You so um, there's one smart recovery that is still meeting in person, and we won't tell people they we don't encourage people to go to it. Um, but we also aren't telling people they'll still get credit if they do if that's up their decision. But all the other ones I think have kind of went to online. Okay, which that makes sense. It's nice to it's nice that that's a resource, especially now. Yeah. Um, I, I see in a lot of, uh, recovery, like on Facebook, there's like recovery from addiction and alcohol group. And so there's every day there's people looking for meetings. And I think there's like newer ones, even AA there's 24 seven AA meetings now that somebody that just needs that support, especially now that we're so isolated that it's there for them. And it's kind of nice. It is. And I think it's kind of opening up to, it's. I mean, I think the technology piece is scary and overwhelming, so right. that can be hard for people to first initiate, but once they get into it and they're doing it, um, it's kind of nice because they'll know that like this is actually way more um, accessible than they realized it was before. Right, right. And they don't have to leave their house. They don't have to. Right. Sometimes that's like the biggest, I, I know that like for my personality, sometimes that's like the biggest hurdle is, oh, I'm going to get it like get dressed and get out and like go in public to somewhere like that's a big hurdle to some people yeah and definitely. people that reach out to me no go ahead oh so yeah you get to skip that part you just right. jump in absolutely speaking of jumping in we just jumped in <laughs> so kelsey thank you very much for being here um why don't you i guess let's just go brief intro tell me who you are what you're all about I'm really uh, bad at. Uh, tell me one. Tell me one unique uh, fact about you. Um, <laughs> tell me no. <laughs> um, 
well, I'm a mom. So that's a unique fact, I guess. Yeah. Um, I have a four-year-old daughter. I'm a social worker. I, um, basically my life right now is kind of work, um, and come home. Well, actually right now it is just work and home because yeah. of the coronavirus, but, um, I guess, yeah. Um, I'm really right now, I'm really interested in learning a lot on like, I've really been addicted, almost addicted, which we can talk about stuff, but like to learning about new things and trauma is my new, like, so I'm reading all these books on things like that for no reason other than just because I, I don't know, want to learn a little bit more, I guess. So sure. And what did you say you were learning about? Right now I'm reading about like trauma okay. and how that affects us, all of us as humans. Um, kind of my new interest I guess and you're um right now you're, you're a social worker yeah. um can you say who, who you do that for what's that what'd can you, you say? say who you do that for oh yep I work for um across county I do um I'm a social worker for treatment court um so it's kind of a unique blend of like the criminal justice system and um the treatment kind of counseling um recovery side of things trying to all blend together right and what got you into that um it is such a long like interesting road of just kind of falling into it I guess but I think I knew that I always wanted to be in like a helping caregiver caring type of role I guess um and I fell into the the criminal justice system was always interesting to me because I think that it's really, um, it's where we, you know, we, a lot of people that are more disadvantaged in life kind of fall into the cracks a lot and get stuck in our criminal justice system. So I was always really interested in that. So I went for criminal justice actually. Um, and through that, I had a lot of different jobs at the beginning of my career that just kind of kept pointing me to social work. And that that was where I was meant to be. Um, I worked at a as a jailer for a couple of years. Interesting. Which was an interesting role because that's not my um, personality or I don't know. It doesn't really go. But I was right out of college and I needed uh, experience. Sure. And I had interned at the Houston County Jail, and so they offered me a position right after college. So I took it and. You know, through that experience, I saw just how um, the system is set up sometimes to really keep people in a cycle. And I also saw, I see all both sides of it, I guess. And so that kind of got me on this path of like, I want to do work, uh, more like re-entry work, helping people getting out of the system. Um, so I actually took a case manager job for a grant program at Workforce Connections in La Crosse where I got to, um, it was like a mentor. They would match you with a mentor and help you um, kind of navigate when you got released from prison or jail, they would help you navigate getting your license or um, housing and stuff like that. So I did that. And then through that, I got to start going to La Crosse County Jail and teaching a class with, um, 
this woman who runs a program at WTC, a grant program. And she kind of became like a role model for me. She was getting her doctorate in uh, social work and she's just so intelligent and so progressive thinking. And she developed a program for La Crosse County Jail, um, an employment program, kind of teaching employment skills while um, people are in the jail. And then they can also do GED or um, college classes while they're in the jail. And then they, she would help transfer them over to WTC to continue with that. Um, and so I met with her, I got involved with her and ended up working for her then for a couple of years after that. Um, and that was probably one of the biggest like lessons. She really taught me a lot about um, re-entry and how to really meet a person where they're at and the importance of kind of breaking the stigma of that the criminal justice system and addiction and all this stuff. And she just taught me a lot. Then I got, and then I had a baby. So I end up taking a different position. You can stop me if I'm going <laughs> off into tangents. This is the path. Yeah. yeah. Uh, but then I work. I end up working at Gunderson in inpatient behavioral health for uh, okay. two years. And that was really eye-opening as well because I got to see the mental health side of things okay. and learned a lot um, there about just different um, treatment aspects and different therapeutic approaches and um, the real like wellness side of things and the medical side of things. Okay. And then from there I went to the county. Okay. And how long have you been doing that? Um, it'll be two years in October. Okay. I mean, so it sounds like the position that you're in now, you know, working in the, um, working where you are now, it seems like a blend of everything that you've done up until this point which that's yeah cool. that's a really good observation yeah um <laughs> i know no <laughs> no so that's that's cool i mean it seems like very fitting um being where you're at now um and it's been about two years so what are what's i guess i'm sure there's a lot of challenges um what would you say you, you mentioned something about, um, you mentioned the stigma of the criminal justice system and addiction. Um, can you talk a little bit about that and what you've seen, um, how that kind of can affect somebody in their recovery? Yeah, I definitely think that's one of, one of the biggest challenges of working, um, or not even, well, just for being either working with um, substance use disorders or working with someone who has a substance disorder. It's just the the self-stigmatization stigmatization or and just societal because we tend to for some reason we think of addiction as like people not having willpower or um just kind of and, and the criminal justice system tends to lean towards punishment and the shame aspect of things um which is exactly the opposite of what i've learned with um, working in the mental health and recovery field is that we actually, you know, shame is a cycle that fuels addiction. So to kind of heal from that, there has to be a lot of compassion, a lot of um, self-compassion and the criminal justice system and society tends to um, more put a lot of, so for example, um, 
if you get a your first OWI, let's say, mm-hmm. you get put in jail, let's say you just sit the weekend for um, to see the judge on Monday. Right. Can't bail out, depending on how high you blew or um, in different counties or different laws on it. Um, sometimes you can get out right away, but let's say you can't. Um, you would be put in an orange jumpsuit or blue, depending on where you are. But um, and you like in our the small town I live in, I would see it all the time whenever I get to jail. They'd be put in an orange jumpsuit, brought up to see the judge in shackles in their hands and around their feet. Where we live in a small town, so you know the everyone knows the court reporter could be your friend's mom or mm-hmm. um, people walking through the courthouse or just people from town you know. So you know the shame is already put on you just you're you're immediately right um in a situation like that and then it just perpetuates the belief uh, that we already have about ourselves maybe that we're not worthy or we're undeserving or that we're not meeting the standard we have for ourselves or whatever it is right. and it just keeps the cycle going and so it's a challenge when you have working with the criminal justice system and addiction trying to heal from shame and heal from all your own self kind of abuse you've given yourself while you're also having the system put that on you. Right. That makes any sense. No, absolutely. Um, Plus, you know, then, you know, there's still people that, you know, the smaller, smaller towns, there's still people that um, they'll read the police reports and then they'll see, they'll post felony, you know, felony arrests on lacrosse tribune and pictures of people. So it's kind of all kind of piles on. Yeah. Um, yeah. Like the Facebook pages where we, sh- they just keep sharing and sharing. Right. Right. Um, which I'm sure at some point it was, it was like, you know, public danger kind of thing. Like watch out for this person because, you know, this violent offender was arrested for something. Or if you know any, any information, please let us know. But now it's just kind of a, uh, here's all the bad things that happens uh it's it gets clicks it gets shares it gets you know comments and everything um but i've been so i think i've been in orange and blue in my life um but i know like so one feeling it gives me is it instantly makes you feel very small because you know you know you know you've already fucked up because you wouldn't be there that's not a normal thing to do to be being being in jail isn't a normal thing for society so you know you fucked up um and you're in a system that is pretty stretched stretched for resources stressed for things that you know can help you and you don't feel like anybody really wants to help you in general because of the system that you're in so i know you know when i've been in jail it's you know, obviously the guards, it's not their job to be your friend. And I don't think they want to because it makes it harder for them to do the, their job. So you kind of feel more isolated and smaller and directed. And that's just kind of like how it moves along. You know, if you can't, if you can't afford a lawyer, you know, you have a public defender who has a million cases and they just kind of churn through people. So you don't really feel, I think in the system, you don't really feel like a person until you get to a caseworker that might be the first time you feel like a human being. And if your first meeting is with like a, a PO who has a million people that they have to watch out for, um, then that feeling of not being a person kind of continues. So I think like 
I'm just thinking about that now because like I was in that process. And then I think the yeah, the first time you feel like cared for at all is if you talk to a caseworker that it's their job to help with your recovery. Um, so I think by the time someone's getting to your desk, probably they've been, I think, dehumanized for a while. Um, is I mean, is that something that you that you notice? Yeah, you, you explained that really well because I hear that a lot. Um, that especially people that have been through the system on multiple occasions, they have a very um, a, a distrust for anybody that's involved in the system as an authority figure, um, and it's not. It makes sense why they have that mistrust. If you if you actually were in their shoes, you would probably feel the same. Um, once you hear their story, I'm like, I'm really sorry that that is the experience you had. Right. Um, and so automatically not having any trust or feeling like you can be heard or seen um, kind of shuts down the ability to open up and share and learn and grow from your mistake or from the situation you're in. Right. Kind of blocks it. Absolutely. And I think the, like, I feel like a natural, like two natural tendencies in that situation is, you know, when you feel small already and you're in a system that you feel like you can't trust and, and doesn't care about you, you can either get smaller or get bigger, like personality wise, bravado wise, like pretend like you don't give a shit. And that kind of is the other side of the coin of being a challenge because that's not a person you can really help yet either. Yeah. Yep. You're right. It's like a, whatever their coping mechanism mechanism is it's either kind of like you said um, i'm gonna say i don't care about this no one can help me just kind of say screw it or the opposite like you said shrink yourself yeah so when you get somebody like what is your i guess what's the process that you go through the first time you're meeting somebody um i usually try to just kind of so actually when i worked at gunderson i worked with a psychologist who used to always say like you have to meet a person where they're at um and that has really stuck with me that just jumping into okay here are all the things you have to do here's all this um expectations that we expect to see is just going to be so overwhelming so i really just like to get to know somebody and just get a feel for where they're at and i I was thinking, you know, about this a little bit, and I think I usually just read people's body language okay. when they come into my office to kind of get a feel for, you know, are they guarded right now? Do they, you know, I can usually tell if someone comes in my office and they they just look like they have no interest in talking to me, <laughs> sure. trust me in any way, um, just by their body language. So I guess it's just kind of my start is just to build that rapport and let them know that I'm actually there to work with them. Okay. and and then we can kind of build off of that once once we have a mutual kind of respect for each other. Do you ever, um, does it ever just not happen? Like, do you get clients in that's like, you're trying, you're trying, you're trying, and then you just, there's n- nowhere to go? Um, that's a good question. I think usually, I think as humans, like we want, we want that connection and we want someone to understand and hear us. Yeah. Um, and I think that if I have the time with somebody to be genuine and make that connection, it's, I don't think it's ever not happened. I have had situations where 
they've like disenrolled or mm. kind of said screw the program before I could get we could get to that point. If that kind of makes sense. Right, right. Or situations came up. Um, they got like rearrested before that, or. Um, mm. But for the most part, I think that um, people people really um, they want they want to be able to feel comfortable and share and work with you. And most people don't want to be um, in the cycle they're in. They're not, right. you know, they're they're not. So it it's um I think a relief sometimes when they're when like okay, I can actually be open with this person and I'm not being judged. Right. I think that's, I think everybody wants that. Exactly. Free of judgment. Yeah. Um, so getting out of the system, like, or I guess from what you've, from what you've seen, let's say somebody's new in the system. Um, do you have any, like, do you have any advice for somebody just kind of starting out? Like how, how do they get the most out of um, where they're at and going through the criminal justice system? And yeah. recovery, I guess. No, that's a good question. So I guess it kind of, kind of comes back to again where where they're at with their, um, with their experiences with the criminal justice system and how kind of, how that has shaped their view on on it and themselves. And so, but normally I really try to just, I think having just being open minded, and understanding that, that's I try to I try to encourage that a lot with people. I'm not saying I try to because they most people have very valid reasons for not trusting the system or being frustrated with the system. Um, so really working on just breaking it down into that feeling is valid. But when you go to this group or you go to this, you know, just try to have an open mind instead of seeing things really black and white. Because the more uh, this is Brene, Brene Brown is a lady I listen to all the time she's a uh, researcher um in social work and she always said like you know the more afraid we are of something the more black and white we make it sure and so just encouraging people to to just be open-minded be curious about it you know um and then really we'll work together on it i use that a lot like yeah this might be frustrating but we can I'm not here to just let you navigate it on your own. Like we can work on it together. Right. Right. That sounds like, so the, the more afraid we are of something, the more black and white we make it. That does sound like, you know, what people outside of the criminal justice system would think of people inside. Like the more they're, they just make that black and white, either an addiction and um, all of that, you know, they, they don't understand it. They're afraid of it. It's not them, so they just don't want to understand it. Yeah, yeah, and I, it's interesting because people, I, you know, I worked as a jailer with law enforcement, and I saw that all the time on that end, and then I see it all the on the other end with um, clients or people that I've worked with inside the jail. That's very similar lines of thinking, but just opposite views. Right, right. Um, yeah. Is there anything? Um, so we kind of talked about how you're able to do your job now in the current current conditions. Um, is there anything, I guess, being a social worker um, in the system that you're that you're in? 
Um, do you, are there things that you wish that, that you'd like to do in your job, but you just can't because your job doesn't allow it or resources don't allow it? Um, yeah, I think that there's always, like with anything, there's so much research and growth happening in, in all fields. Um, one thing I really hope that we get to, um, there's a lot of research around addiction and which I was talking about that I'm reading on trauma lately, but not like how stress and things are stored in our body. Okay. And we, we, we tend to approach things in such a, um, way we're like okay go to these groups learn about go see a, a counselor do these things talk about your story be open about it, which is all good but um there's a ton of research on how we have to heal our nervous system okay. we have because um a lot of you know research now is showing that addiction is really um a way to regulate or regulate ourselves um and so i'm really hoping that we get to a place where we have a better understanding of how the body and the mind work together and how we can heal both um and then offer those opportunities just where we live now there isn't a ton of resources for um they call it uh somatic experience it's it's a whole different type of therapy that works in your body and it it uh, it's all about like kind of being present in the moment getting to know the sensations in your body um and like mindfulness i i it, that's a whole um new research that's a ton has been happening um about addiction and how it's a you know we use it to numb to or to escape and so learning to be present in the moment right. and we don't we don't really talk about that enough i don't think in i hope that in the future that can be kind of the base of things because right. if we can start there and learn about our own kind of triggers for our body and being able to regulate ourselves in healthy cope with healthy, healthy ways and being able to be present in the moment, then I think we can really start to, um, then we can start to do more of the, that talk therapy and sharing our story and all of that. Right. Right. Yeah. It's a, the mountain of a challenge. Yeah. I see that audio. No, yeah. Um, and I was thinking of other. I'm reading. So right now I'm reading a, a Jordan Peterson book, and he talks about. Um, he was. I think he was talking. I can't remember. He was talking about um, depression, and um, the first. I guess the first thing he asked his clients: How are you? Like, are you getting a? Are you getting enough sleep? are you eating enough? Are you getting exercise? And I know like I've gone, um, I think we, we like to think that the problems that we have are so much more complicated because we romanticize them by, you know, TVs and TV and movies and stories. Um, but like, it's hard to get a baseline on somebody if your body's not right or if your energy isn't right, because you're always distracted by something because you're always tired or you're always hungry or you're always, you know, you're not, you're not, you're not moving, you're not moving enough. So that's yep. interesting. I think there's a lot of, I think that's a very valid, you know, thought process. Um, I'm glad you said moving and like moving and sleeping. Cause yeah, I think those are kind of like the baseline things. And in this book I'm reading right now, it's um, 
in an unspoken voice. There's this um, doctor, Peter Levine or Levine, but he does a ton of research on um, trauma and how it's stored in our body. But he talks about how movement is such a key piece of it. So that's why like yoga and um, even just like exercising, it's all a part of like helping regulate the nervous system in a, in a healthier way. But I guess that leads into, you know, having, you have to have the awareness first. You have to start right. to at least just notice what your body needs. Right. Right. Which is hard to do if you don't have like a baseline of this is how I feel normally. Right. You right. If you're not sleeping, if you're not, yeah. If you're not doing those basic self, basic self-care things, it's tough to get to that point. Yeah. And I think, well, like just stereotyping for a second. Like I remember like going to meetings it's, and some of the people that would be there, it's, you know, it's smokers, it's um, people that work, you know, overnight, it's people that like, it's not everybody, but I feel like there's a higher percentage of people that work like irregular hours, um, don't take care of themselves, like don't do those basic things. Yeah, um, I think, yeah, I see what you're saying. And, and which I guess falls in line with, so then what do you do when you're not doing that? You, you find ways to help yourself feel, you know, I hear right. all the time, well, I drank a beers so I could sleep. Yeah. Or I um, had a cigarette because I was stressed. <laughs> you know? Drank an energy drink because I was tired. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. And I, it's interesting because we always think, and this is kind of goes along with the stigma of addiction, but we always think of like addiction as alcohol or drugs, but it's so much more than that. Like it's, it, and that's a part of the stigma I think that kind of gets me frustrated sometimes is that um, really it's just a part of a kind of the human experience, like right. because it could be shopping, it can be eating, it can be um, workaholic being a workaholic is a huge one that is just really um accepted in society right and the you know alcohol and drugs may be more i guess deteriorating to ourselves physically so right but they're all just ways we have learned there's a saying they say that um it shouldn't be called addiction it should be called ritualized compulsive um, ritualized compulsive comfort seeking okay that makes sense yeah that like really stuck out to me because it's just kind of like ways we've got into habits of comforting ourselves right and some um i've kind of always thought that too about it's not just alcohol drugs um it can be it can be anything some some like addict or some rich ritualized compulsive comfort seeking activities are easier to spot because if someone's an alcoholic or a, a drug drug addict it's easier to spot that and some of the actions that they do are illegal so they get put in the system but um but the workaholics i mean it it sad like sadly to say it even could be somebody that does like really awesome things but they do it because they're like maybe they just have this pit of unhappiness so if they just like bake cookies for 
people constantly around the clock and it's very nice and everyone loves it, but they're still not happy inside. Like, I think that's, I, I think about that quite a bit too. And yeah. it's weird because like, who wants to stop that person from doing that? Because that's the nicest thing ever. But <laughs> you kind of want people to have self-awareness and be fulfilled and happy. Yeah. That gets yeah, you away. It, it, no, that's exactly it. Because I think that it's still a way of distracting ourselves and not, and we're and avoiding being just present in the moment. Right. We're living kind of, we're doing things to, um, actually Brene Brown, this lady, I talk about her all the time, but she always says we do four things to, um, avoid vulnerability, like to feel vulnerable is the, I, I, yeah, I talk about this all the time, yeah. but it's like, she said, we, um, numb, which is like alcohol, drugs, um, pills, whatever, eating. Um, and then we, um, control. So that's like, you know, we make things very much black or like it's, we make things certain we're in control. It's this way or this way. Sure. Because if there's a middle ground, then I, I have, you know, that's me. I could be vulnerable. I might not know what's going on. Mm-hmm. Um, we pretend. So like pretending everything's fine, even though it's not, or pretending that like she says, pretending that our actions or things we're doing aren't affecting other people. Um, and we perfect is the other one. Um, so, and I, I actually see this a lot with the clients I work with and just in my own personal life is with addiction, I see a lot of perfectionism and I yeah. like that kind of holding themselves to a very high standard um, mm-hmm. and that fear of failure. Yeah. So I can see all of those. Sorry, I think yeah. I got us way off topic, but or off on different no, road. No, that's I actually wanted to ask you uh, about vulnerability too, um, but like those four things, um, yeah, go to a go to a meeting and you see you'll see all four of those things in almost every person. In some, if you you know listen to their stories and allow them to kind of take you down the line of you know what brought them there. Um, I mean, I see them all in myself, you know, in certain points of my life, um, for sure. But um, yeah, you brought up vulnerability. I know you and I have talked about vulnerability quite a bit. And that's actually how you got me on Brene Brown and (laughs) her her videos, which everyone I recommend, I I I highly recommend. She's awesome. Um, How important is vulnerability when someone uh, with someone that you're working with and getting them the help that they need and the recovery that they need? Um, well, I think it's kind of the, the biggest piece of it because if to, so she describes, you know, vulnerability is kind of like doing something, even though you might not know the outcome or, um, you don't have full control over the outcome. And it's just, it's interesting because she researched this vulnerability and it's people that have a little bit more feelings of shame. They tend to hate feeling vulnerable and people that live more wholehearted lives is the way she describes it. 
um, they embrace vulnerability. They don't love it, but they don't hate it. So right. um, learning to be able to be vulnerable is so important. And because if you're going to go to treatment, if you're going to do counseling and open up and really kind of have this acceptance about where you are and get that self-awareness you need to move forward, you have to be able to to let yourself feel vulnerable to new things mm -hmm. and the unknown of where this new path might take me because, but that's scary. You know, it's, 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 we want to go back into our comfort zone of what we know and what's, even if it's not healthy for us, even if we know that it's not a good path and we, we don't like the path we're on, the fear of the unknown is terrifying, right. but it's, it's kind of the, the biggest piece is stepping out into it. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. I, I think it's awesome that you got into Brene Brown. Oh, you did it. <laughs> <laughs> I push oh. that on everybody, but not everybody takes it. So. Right, right. No, it's, and you know, what I found, and I think, you know, we've had this discussion um, that the, I've been, I've been through treatment a couple of times. Um, I've been through treatment more than once. And in the past, um, I, I've gone through treatment and no one knew I was going through treatment. And for that reason, because I didn't want, I was, I had a lot of shame and I didn't want people to see me as weak. I didn't want to see people to see the failures that I had. And I certainly didn't want anybody's help. I just wanted it to go away. And um, this time, like, this, you know, year, almost two years ago now, um, it's, uh, it's the first time that I kind of broadcast it to everybody. And I think it's still difficult for me to have, you know, one-on-ones, um, be super vulnerable with somebody one-on-one, -on -one, especially somebody I know. Um, but what I found is, you know, it does take a little bit of confidence or a little bit of courage to be vulnerable, but it kind of generates, once you start it, it generates more confidence and it generates more courage. Um, it's just kind of one of those things you got to do it. Um, and if you're not willing to, I think if you're not willing to admit your imperfections, you're never going to be able to overcome them or maybe the, the imperfections don't even have to be overcame. They just have to be seen and understood. Yeah. Yeah. I think, um, Brene says what makes us vulnerable is what makes us beautiful. Like our, our imperfections are what right. make us beautiful. Right. Um, so I'm curious, I know you're asking the questions right now, but I am curious, like, what do you yeah. think got you to a place where you decided, okay, I'm going to, I'm going to be open. I'm going to try to be vulnerable. Like, what do you think opened uh, that door? I think, well, what it, what it takes, you know, a lot of people to make a significant change is like, you feel like you don't have a choice. Um, I kind of just didn't give myself a choice. Uh, leading up to before, bef before the actions that led me to your desk um, happened, you know, I think I went through two or three months where I knew that I needed to change something in my life, but I just wouldn't do it until some, something had to happen. I, I, I think I felt like, you know, I was, uh, 33, 30, 30, 
I don't even know how the hell old I was. It was October of last year. Um, but I think I just felt like I can't keep doing this to myself. I can't. I, ba I basically spent 10 years not growing, not like progressing as a person. And I've just been the same person. I've lesson, lessons learned here and there throughout the way, but I've just, I was just kind of doing the same things and I didn't have a reason for it. And I felt like if I didn't do anything now, it was gonna be another 10, 15 years. I'll be 45 and I'll still be learning the same lessons over and over again. Yeah. So I think I just felt like I had, I had good people around me um, that I trusted. I had uh, a good support system and I really had gave myself no other choice, but I needed to actually learn the lessons and actually find out, you know, what it is in myself and what it is in my, um, in my imperfections that were causing me to make those choices. Otherwise I'm just going to continue doing it. And yeah. if it's not alcohol, it's going to be something else. And if it's not, yeah. Well, I just, you saying that really points out like the person has to really, they want it, they got to have it, want it for themselves and then be open to, to going through the, the hard steps, but also just like having the curiosity about themselves. Yeah. I think having curiosity about yourself and just wanting without judging yourself. Right is a really huge thing and it's it's hard but it's that self-compassion and knowing that you know uh, yeah yeah so that's cool that you stepped into it yeah no choice <laughs> yeah well, okay you're forced into it <laughs> right right no i mean yeah either way um but yeah i think that you know the last um the last OWI, like, I mean, if that didn't happen, I don't know. Um, I don't know what would have happened. I, you know, I don't, I don't know if I ever would have, because I could see myself progressively getting worse. And there were, you know, comments from friends and things like that. Um, and I know I was drinking more and more, more frequently, and to probably, a, a, probably intentionally to to cause some sort of change um whether it be you know waking up in the hospital getting pumped or waking up in jail like i i think i was just like calling for help for myself and yeah. not let, and not letting anybody in because i think if i if i would have been honest before you know then maybe some change would have happened without having to go through this whole process um that's another thing about being vulnerable i think is being willing to reach out to other people mm -hmm. yeah. yeah it's always easier though to for some reason we're good at helping other people oh yeah but we, we feel like it's a weakness to actually reach out for help which is kind of interesting because we can extend help to other people but we can't accept it or it's hard right. to accept it right um, so i think yeah so knowing that reaching out for help really is not weakness but how do you how do you teach somebody that? I don't know. I think it's uh, experience and like perspective because I think about that too. You know, we all have these like clock. It's hard to avoid like the society clock. Like you're at by age 20, this happens by age 25, this happens by age 30. Um, and so like that, 
that's another thing too. Um, uh, so you, like, I think I had some of that too, like where, you know, I was 30 and I was still, I didn't really have a, a lot because I, you know, all my money went to a DUI and then, you know, rebuilding your life. But then you see, you know, you go to meetings and you see somebody that's like 60 and they have nothing because they haven't been learning those lessons. Um, I think that puts things into perspective, you know, no matter, you know, how, how old someone is. And I think like, if you being willing to help other people, if you're helping other people, you should understand that that means that people in the world need help. So you're not different if you need help at some point. Yeah. Yep. Like, I yeah. I know. But you know what I think that's, this kind of goes into a bigger thing with society though, is that we, for some reason we do, we put a lot of shame on people for, and so we make it, I think just meeting societal standards, like you were saying, like do this by the age of 30 and do that by the age of 30, that um, we, we kind of feel like we have to meet all these marks and then beat, our, beat ourselves up when we don't. And then that shame comes into play, which all plays into not wanting to reach out because then I might be vulnerable and I might feel, you know, that I am weak or something because right. that is what I should be on this. I should be here where society says I am, should be. Right. And I think a lot of people that get um, put into the system at some point, like you're automatically going to miss whatever mark you thought you were going to hit at that, whatever age you got put in. Especially if it's, you know, if, if you are, you know, paying a fine, if you're paying monitoring, if you're paying everything, like, you know, um, you're automatically putting yourself behind. And it just kind of feeds itself. You have the shame of going in, then you have the shame of missing a mark, and then you have the shame of needing help. And then you have the shame of, yeah, of just being in that situation. It's a lot to, that's a lot for a human being to overcome. Yeah. And that's, that's I think, interesting. It's actually anybody kind of going through the cycle of um, substance use is actually super resilient. Yeah. And it takes so much courage and so much strength. And I, I wish that people could understand, especially people that are going through it currently, how much actual courage and like how uh, much respect I have for them because it takes a really strong person to, to do that. Um, but it's so, I don't know, misconceived in society, I guess. Right. And they don't, and they might not feel very strong because they feel like I don't have a choice and I'm just doing this, but no, like you could just not like at any point they could just give up, but they, the people that keep showing up every day and yeah. going to their tests and making their meetings and doing their stuff, like that's, it's, it is, does take a lot of strength, a lot of courage. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Nice. Do you feel like, um, do you feel like doing what you do and like the experience that you've, that you've had through what you do, has that helped you in your own life kind of as you navigate this world? Yeah, definitely. I think that most people that are in the social work field or in the social service field in general, like there's a reason they're in that field. Um, 
from their own story or their own whatever it is. Um, but I learned, I've learned so much about myself. Um, and I almost kind of wonder like, where would I be if I hadn't gone into this field? If I didn't have this stuff, it's, you know, I wonder that a lot. Um, especially, I, re I specifically remember when I worked at Gunderson in the behavioral health, learning about anxiety and realizing like, wow, like social anxiety is a huge thing in my family. And I never recognized it for that until I was, you know, in the field and started learning about it. Right. And just all kinds of things like that, you know, like, um, I think addiction of some sort or just like, because we said it's a human experience. I think it's a part of most people's families right. or just people's lives in general. Um, but learning so much and realizing that it, it is so human to be dealing with this stuff really helped me kind of come to an awareness myself and maybe start um, starting to want to learn about my own habits and my own, um, I guess, coping mechanisms and really becoming a lot more self-aware. Yeah. And so I feel like I'm always learning. I'm learning through people I work with. I hear their stories and like they're inspirational in some way, or I learn um, just something kind of clicks in my head of like, Oh, that makes sense. Um, mm -hmm. Or if I go to different groups, or reading different articles or just yeah it's definitely opened up a lot of things for me and I tend to do this thing where I will talk about these things I learned and I feel like I have had to really bring that in and be like okay not everybody wants to learn or talk about this stuff all <laughs> <Sure>. the time <laughs> but. I, I appreciate that definitely um so is there before we before we take off I mean is there anything else that you want um, people to know about about what it is you do um, how people can be you know maybe more understanding or helpful to to the clients that you see um, in general uh, yeah there's, a, there's probably a lot but I guess um, <laughs> I guess I think we could I think it's really important that we just all start remembering that we are all human and that the the human experience is we're doing the best we kind of can with our level of awareness sure and the experiences we have have shaped us differently so kind of the more empathy we can have for one another the more healing can happen and shaming one another or um kind of having this punishment point of view is the opposite of what will actually help society is from my perspective what I've learned that if we want to make a safer healthier place for people we have to start to be able to um, kind of give that compassion for other people and let people be vulnerable without judging right and start having conversations like this I think this this is important too just being able to have conversations um, is huge the more people like you that can tell their story and open up and kind of be vulnerable with stuff like this the more other people start to see that it's it's something that you know uh, it's common it's a it's a mm -hmm. common thing it's right. just not talked about enough or right. so the more we can just 
talk about it and be open about it and know that it's actually just a part of the human experience and we can all start to stop shaming ourselves a little bit. Absolutely. Nice. Well, I agree. Well, Kelsey, I think you're definitely in the right position to, to, to help the most people. Oh, thank um, you. Like I said, I've learned a lot too. So. Well, good. Well, good. Well, I, I think I'm going to let you go, but I appreciate you uh, being willing to sit down with me for a little bit here. I really do. Um, uh, thank you very much for being here. Yeah, thank you. And thank you for everything you're doing right now. It's, it's going to help a lot of people. I hope so. All right. Well, we'll talk soon. All right. Talk to you later. All right. Bye.